Well, hello and welcome to the second of two lacrosse mayoral debates from WIZM Radio. My name is Anthony Tregoski, and I'm an assistant professor of political science at the University of Wisconsin Lacrosse. I'm pleased to be your moderator for this debate. We have 10 candidates running for mayor, and we want to get to know where each candidate stands on the issues that most affect lacrosse. So the field has been split into two debates with five candidates participating in each of the two debates. Tonight is the second of two debates. All 10 candidates have answered a questionnaire that is available at wizmnews.com slash mayor. Once again, that is wizmnews.com slash mayor. I encourage everyone to check it out. The race will be narrowed down from 10 candidates to two candidates in a primary election on February 16th. Before introducing our five candidates participating in this debate, I'm happy to introduce two panelists from WIZM News who will be asking tonight's questions. Joining me are Brad Williams and Rick Solom from WIZM News. As for the debate, our format will go as follows. Candidates will be grouped in pairs to answer each question. Those pairs will rotate after each question. The two candidates will be asked the same question and have up to one minute each to answer. After that, I'll invite the other three candidates to offer their opinions up to 30 seconds each. And lastly, we'll return to the original two candidates and they can provide a final word again, up to 30 seconds. After that, we will move on to a new question. All of this is to ensure that candidates have plenty of opportunities to participate during this debate, which will last around one hour. The candidates participating in this debate are Martin Gall, Zebulon Kemp, Joe Conrad, Vicki Markison, and Sam Schneider. Brad Williams will ask the first question. Zebulon Kemp and Martin Gall, you will have the first crack at this question from Brad Williams. The city of La Crosse is investing $42 million in a project to renovate the La Crosse Center, which has kept the center mostly closed for the better part of a year, that and also the pandemic doing so. This is money that is not available for other city projects. What can the city do to maximize its investment in the La Crosse Center, given that we may not see concerts or trade shows or conventions return for another few months? Zebulon Kemp, the floor is yours. Thank you for that. Um, that is a lot of money going into that project. Um, I think it'll be well worth it at the end. In the meantime, uh, money that can't be touched for other budgets, I think we just need to dig deep, um, look around, see what kind of money that we need for other projects since a lot of funds are tied up here in the La Crosse Center and see the best way to utilize those. Thank you. Thank you, Zebulon Kemp. Martin Gall. Thanks. Well, right now the primary thing that we need to do is get the center up and running again. We uh, reduced the operating budget on the center to try and uh, take into account the fact that we were going to have events that were gonna be canceled in the early part of this year. And uh, we are continuing on the trajectory, uh, delaying a little bit here as the year gets going. But I think we'll be back to uh, pretty uh, planned on events within the, in the second quarter of the year. That said, the money that we spent on the center was well worth it. It's already been allocated to the center. So, in fact, it cannot be allocated anywhere else. And uh, I just think that we need to get that thing back online as quickly as we can. Present management is in charge of that, and I think they're doing a fine job, and I look forward to it reopening. Thanks. Joe Conrad, I'm happy to invite you in. Joe, you're muted. Joe, you're currently muted. Thank you. Well, the $42 million is, was mentioned is actually going to be paid through bonds. So we're going to be paying the interest and in, in principal on those bonds. So it's not that we have to come up with that money. It's not actually part of an operating budget for the city. The issue right now is that we budgeted $2.5 million of income in 2020. And there's no way we got $2.5 million. That's what we've been doing every year before that. In 2021, we budgeted $1.8 million dollars which means there'll be a shortfall for the city. And I doubt we'll do 1.8 million. We have great management at the center. I don't think anybody would have predicted this. We'll be spend $42 million if we knew about COVID. Probably not. The issue is to get the center back on as quickly as we can. 
the issue is the operating expenses. I'm probably running out of town, but time, but the fact that the city of La Crosse taxpayers are now on the hook for some major shortfalls in income versus expense is a problem that should have been fixed a long time ago. The city cannot continue to own things and pay everything ourselves. We have to start working with other communities to share the costs. Everybody benefits, but our taxpayers pay for it all. Thank you, Joe. Vicki, I can invite you in next. Thank you. One thing to keep in mind is that every community with a convention center is in the same position that we are. We have to plan for the immersion and we have pent up demand. We have people that want to start convening. And so we really need to be working with the La Crosse County Convention and Visitors Bureau, also known as Explore La Crosse, to go and talk to those conferences to see how quickly they can come back online. They've lost revenue. It's a win-win if we start to plan for a safe immersion and trying to make sure we're doing so in front of, if not in timing with other communities. Thank you, Vicki Markison. Samuel Schneider. Yeah, I've actually spoken to people who work at the convention center, including the director. And from what I've heard, they're chomping at the bit. They're ready to go. The convention center, when it's going to be done uh, in the middle of April is the estimation. Obviously, yeah, the funds have already been allocated, so there's nothing really you can do there. I think the best thing that we can do is to continue to plan for the different events that are coming up. I've heard that starting in the third and fourth quarter, we should have a pretty booked uh, convention center, and that revenue will start bringing money to our hotels and our restaurants and our businesses and we need that and we're looking forward to just holding on until that point when we can really start booking um, some good conventions and bringing in some uh, good tourism revenue. Zebulon Kemp, what's what's your take on Joe's characterization that lacrosse is now on the hook for this money? This is a problem that should have been fixed. Problem that should have been fixed? It's a reoccurring problem. I agree that it does need to be fixed. Um, I think sometimes it just requires a little bit of footwork. You know, you have to dig a little bit deeper than what you're expecting. And that's something that I did all the time in the Navy. Um, Where there's a will, there's a way. But everything can be fixed. I do believe that there is a solution. It's just going to take a lot of teamwork. Um, But, yeah, it can be done. Martin Gall, last word. How do you respond to critics of this project? Well, you know, I understand the sentiment, but the fact is, is that the operating budget for the center was adjusted to a break-even perspective, uh, given what we knew was going to be issues with the events that were coming up. As far as partnership opportunities with other entities, uh, we did explore some of that when we approved the financing for the center. It didn't work out that way, aside from the contribution received from the state. And we uh, have gotten a contribution from the county and hope to have an ongoing contribution there. But all in all, the project is on target. And uh, this setback is not going to be uh, uh, anything that we can handle going forward. We may need to make adjustments. And if we do, we will. Thanks. Thank you, Martin Gall. Next question from Rick Solum to Vicki Markison and Samuel Schneider. They'll have the first shot at this question from Rick. All right. Even before the pandemic began, we had uh, vacant buildings in La Crosse. Shopco has come to mind. The Kmart, of course, uh, the recent acquisition uh, of U-Haul to the Kmart properties brought attention to property usage and like our business climate here. Also, uh, we see a lot of businesses. I, just two stick out in my head because I like to eat uh, Chipotle's going on Alaska and uh, Chick-fil-A, right? Uh, but how would you as mayor maintain and attract businesses to the city of La Crosse and ensure they don't look past the city and surrounding communities for growth? Vicki. So the benefit is we do have ample stock. Uh, obviously, the number one availability is the mall area. That was paying us $1.4 million in taxes two years ago. It's now paying us 600000 That's a huge loss for our community. And then you add ShopCo on top of it, Kmart. So Kmart is a great example. Here's what is happening with U-Haul going into Kmart. U-Haul has figured out that they can retrofit Kmarts very well. They've actually purchased 13 of them, at least across the country. And what they've done then is they have a formula. They go into a place that is set up exactly the same way. They retrofit it. They're going to add $4 million into that property. So if we can figure out where places are using some of these buildings like Shopco's, we can start going after those same businesses to retrofit in the same setting. And that's how we add millions of dollars to our tax base, which would be very challenging to do if we just relied on residential. Thank you, Vicki. Samuel Schneider. 
Yeah, no, this is a very important concern. Keeping our city competitive for businesses has been a problem. And we're looking at uh, other businesses like, as you pointed out, Rick, the Chipotle and the Chick-fil-A that are going to Onalaska and not to La Crosse. I've spoken to a lot of small business owners, some of them who are currently trying to sell and may have to close if they can't. Uh, in downtown and in other areas. So I think that one of the two of the primary concerns that tie into this are property taxes and roads. Downtown, we have a lot of road issues. I know that that's a state issue to a large degree, but the city does have some say in that and they do have some push. And uh, our former mayor pushed for, you know, State Highway 16 to get repaired and he moved it up the docket from 2024 to 2022. And, uh, you know, I give him cheers for that. And I think that's what the city needs to be doing is making sure that the state highways that are really at some points falling apart are being maintained well. And we also need to make sure that our property taxes are competitive so that businesses want to move in. I've spoken to other small business owners who are saying they're so high, I can barely handle it. It is really tough. So I think that we need to make sure we're a competitive city and uh, all the other things that are attractive to lacrosse make it an attractive business suit. But we also need to make sure that at the bottom line, businesses are being able to make it as well. Thank you, Samuel Schneider. I can go to Joe next. The issue is that we do not have enough tax base. The city of La Crosse leveled off about 50,000 people for the last 20 years. We've had small growth in, in real estate base. That means that the only way to pay for things is to keep having taxes going up. So we have to focus on how to get businesses to invest in La Crosse. People don't know the only area out by the mall that's in the city is, a, is the shopping center, the shopping mall, which is closing down. All the rest of the development out there, all the big box stores are in on Alaska, not in La Crosse. Our biggest chance is the mobile oil site with 56 acres. We'll never have that kind of space again. We have to make sure every square foot makes as much money as possible. I know it's been announced about the uh, Ho-Chunk building a building with retail and housing that will compete directly with other developers. We're going to give it to them to have tax-free square feet in our best choice real estate forever. Once it's part of the reservation, that's it. We have to be smarter about helping our developers do projects that generate taxes for the city. It, Vicky is right. It's got to come out of commercial. That's where the dollars are. The city of the cost needs more tax revenue, and we have to be encouraging the development in the city. Thank you, Joe. Zebulon, I can go to you next. <clears throat> I think all candidates raise a good point. <clears throat> I think what kind of makes lacrosse not so appealing, uh, like Sam said, is high property taxes, you know, is the risk worth the reward. Those are all things that businesses and companies and stuff take into consideration when uh, locating or relocating. And I feel like if we were more competitive on the property tax front, it would be more appealing to outsiders that want to invest in the city of lacrosse, you know whether it's keeping them down a little bit or just starting a gradual decline with those property taxes, you do more and offer more to those that want to come in instead of pushing people out and you kind of, you just, you take away the appeal, I believe. So I think property taxes are a big part of that. Thank you. Martin Gall. Thanks. Well, everybody's had some good comments on this. The bottom line is that everybody's arguments are, there are some pieces of that that is correct. Uh, we do need to grow our tax base. The major way that we're going to do that is through uh, uh, proper development of our vacant retail sites. Uh, Vicki mentioned the Kmart site. I think there's better uses for that site than what is being planned out there. I think the tax revenue uh, that we would gain off that in, in the short run sounds good, but in the long run, I think there's better projects that could be made for some of these places. I think the River Point district is, a, is, a, uh, is going to be a boon to the city once it's fully developed, but let's face it, Chances are pretty good. None of us is going to be mayor when that's completed. Samuel might. He could still be around, but the rest of us probably won't. We're a long way off from that project being done. Uh, I agree with Joe's comments about the possibility of tax-free property going into that district. I think that that would have to have some underlying reason that that would be beneficial for the city. Uh, I think we constantly hear about the amount of tax-free property that we've got in the city, and for us to create more would be problematic unless there was a reason for us to do so. But in the long run, development of these areas is going to uh, assist us in keeping our taxes at least moderated uh, to cover the expenses that we need to. Thanks. Thank you, Martin Gall. Vicki, okay. I want to go back to you. Do you agree with Martin and Joe's concerns about tax-free property? 
I don't. I think it's an ebb and flow. And in economic development, you always talk about what's that catalytic project? What's that big project that's going to spark more development happening? And we have to remember the ebb and flow is, so right now we have the CenturyLink building. That was property tax-free. That is $11 million coming onto the property tax rolls. So again, we have to look at if we waited for the perfect property, we could be sitting on another mobile oil site and it taking, what, 25 years for us to finally get development happening. So we have to take development that's going to spark more. And that is what is going to cause others to go into that property. Samuel Schneider, final word. What are your views on this issue? Uh, as it regards to the uh, Kmart property issue, I think that um, there, there, we have to take into account the fact that it's been empty for three years. Obviously, I, I used to drive and walk past that almost every single day and, uh, you know, it'd be empty. And a lot of people referred to it as an eyesore. And I tend to agree with that sentiment. I think that, you know, we could possibly look at getting other better projects put in there. But, um, you know, as we as Vicky pointed out, if no one is offering development, then we can't make it come with that's not the job of the city. The job of the city is to create the atmosphere where people want to move in and want to create business. And I think that, uh, Right now, if U-Haul wants it, we need to look at that. But if they're being competitive about it, we need to see if anyone else is looking for that. And if they aren't, then I think we should go with U-Haul. But otherwise, we should look at other options while we can. Thank you, Samuel Schneider. Our next question will first go to Joe Conrad and Zebulon Kemp. That question comes from Brad Williams. We have seen an increase in protests both locally and nationally about racial injustice and police practices. And that's led to have uh, a fall a call for uh, defunding of police in many places what should the city of lacrosse do to combat crime and keep its citizens safe while also ensuring that people are not mistreated at the hands of police because of the color of their skin joe the floor is yours i have a strong belief that people should feel safe and included and part of our community that's what we love about living here clearly the unrest that's happened in other city is not far away is frightening to all of us. Obviously, there are people in this community who genuinely do not feel safe and feel they're going to get free treatment. So what do we do about that? Peaceful protests are fine, but the question is, what do we do about it? The mayor's job is to take action and make something happen. A couple of months ago, before I even decided to run for mayor, I contacted our local police department about getting new body cameras. They're going to be getting state-of-the-art equipment and they're also working with six other departments in the city to get the center in the county to all have the same devices. So when they respond to a call, all of them will turn on at the same time. The DA will have immediate access to the, to the film. So our police officers are happy about it. They're going to be able to show their good work. The DA will have immediate access to so the community. will have transparency. These are the kind of things that are concrete action to help people feel more comfortable and feel that they're going to be treated fairly in the community. Everybody can know when they call 911, the police will be there to respond, and they'll do good work for us. Thank you, Joe Conrad. Zebulon Kemp, you're next. I think the body cams are a great idea. I believe that um, all police officers wearing them, they're not saying all cops misbehave, but are more likely to behave now that they're wearing that camera. And... The scene of an incident, I think whatever they're there for, everybody is more willing to comply so that if there is any um, abuse or mistreatment, they know that, hey, you know, tracks are going to be covered and stuff. Like, I think that's a great idea. I think that is a huge step in the right direction. But I also believe, you know, diversity training, it never hurts. It really doesn't. Um Last week, we were over that and know who your neighbors are, you know, maybe small community events in different areas of the city that let everybody, you know, associate with each other. Hey, you know, it's not just you and it's all of us together here. So we have to move forward together. But I also believe that the police do need as much support from the residents in the city, just like we rely on their support. You know, they're the ones out there every day handling these calls, coming to our rescue. So I think us supporting them. Uh, just the amount, just the same is just as important. Thank you. Thank you, Zebulon Kemp. Martin Gall, I can come to you next. Thank you. Uh, I have to agree with a lot of the comments that Joe made there. I think that anything that we can do to 
provide support to the community and provide support to the police department at the same time and kind of a mutual protection area as far as like body cameras and that sort of thing, that makes nothing but sense. And I, I really applaud, applaud Joe for stepping up when that project came forward because he contacted me, I think, the next day and told me that he was going to take that on and it's very much appreciated. The bottom line here is that the experiences that we've seen around the country is a learning experience for lacrosse. We're blessed here in that we don't have a lot of the immediate issues that a lot of these bigger areas have had and experienced. We can learn from that. We can see what's going on and identify our mistakes uh, and the issues that we need to deal with, further training, uh, whatever that might be. But the bottom line is, is we've got a, we've got a really fine police department who really takes their mission seriously I think we need to support them in that and uh, continue to provide them with the training and the equipment they need to make sure that everyone is feeling safe in lacrosse. Thank you, Mark Gall. Vicki Marcus. Yes, I think we have two things happening. The rise in protest demonstrations is a cry for a voice. So we have to make sure that we are listening and we are adjusting. Every voice is valid. And to not hear that feedback, to not approach things with how do we improve, would be a mistake on our part. So it's very important that we do listen and we do adjust. The issue about safety, if you talk to anyone in our court system, mental illness and addiction is flooding and overwhelming what we do for safety. And we have to come to root cause, we have to go to the root cause of that and come up with real solutions. And we will, we will start to feel safer and we'll start to relieve the burden on our police and our court system. Thank you, Vicki Marcus and Samuel Schneider. Yeah, I think that something we have to remember is, as Vicki said, we need to be listening to the people who are bringing forward these concerns. Obviously, whenever there's a protest, whenever there is a people standing up and saying, hey, there's something not right here that needs to be addressed. I think, uh, but from another perspective, we also have to realize that the lacrosse police are some of the best trained police in the country. At this time, I've spoken to various people, including police who have trained other police and, I've and, and people who are on the police oversight board. Um, and other people inter interact with the police down to the regular citizenry. And I think that we have been very proactive as a city already to stay ahead of the curve on this, including having different uh, implementations like no chokeholds, which was being proposed on the state level, but we already had it in lacrosse. And we have neighborhood resource officers, which are very innovative and create that uh, community bond. And I think we need more of that and we can always be proactive and we can always be pushing forward to pursue excellence in the greatest way possible. And I think that our police force does that and will continue to do that as mayor. Thank you, Samuel Schneider. Joe Conrad, I can come back to you for the last word on this issue. Having people feel safe is a very personal thing. If we have people who tell us that they're not comfortable, they're concerned about fair treatment, it's about us to do something about it. I think uh, the key for a mayor is to take direct action. I pledge that if I'm elected mayor, I will meet with people of the cross every month I'm in that office to talk with them and get their concerns and their ideas so we can take direct, specific action. Our police are waiting for these new body cameras. You probably saw in the paper in the last couple of weeks where an officer was called to a shoplifting issue and he ended up buying that lady gloves and a hat because she had she needed them to stay warm. She was homeless. You know how we found out about that? We were doing routine review of body camera footage, and that's how we found out about this police officer's good actions. They want the cameras. They want to show. They want to be able to say that they've been doing the right job for the people of the cross. And anybody who is concerned about police, I, I understand that. If they're concerned about it, they want transparency, we'll have that for them too. Let's keep taking direct action and listen to people and put good ideas to work. Thank you. Thank you, Joe Conrad. Zebulon, I can go to you, then we'll go to the next question. Um, I just wanted the whole safety, citizen safety, resident safety, uh, it's all important. And, you know, um, body cams, yes, good idea. I don't, and it's not the residents' uh, control or the mayor's, but I think a lot of residents question or wonder why certain individuals that do get, um, thrown in jail, why, you know, drug charges, whatever it may be along those lines, why are they back out on such a short turnaround? You know, I mean, I know there's a pandemic and we have to be safe with social distancing and stuff, but I think a lot of people want to know why those dealing 
enough fentanyl to wipe out so many people while they're in there and they're out on a bond, you know, a week later. I think that's something that we as a community need to be pushing on as well. Thank you. Thank you, Zebulon Kemp. We will start our next question by going to Martin Gall and Vicki Markison. This question from Rick Solon. All right. Currently, the city has environmental goals such as utilizing 100% renewable energy by 2050 and achieving carbon neutrality. Uh, what do you think of these priorities for La Crosse? And what, if any, changes would you make to the environmental plan as mayor? Martin Gall. Thanks. Well, I voted in support of that when we made that switch and set that goal for ourselves. I think what's important for uh, whoever's the next mayor and whoever the next council members are is to continually build into the system what we need to achieve the goal that we set out for ourselves. The most uh, prevalent part of that's going to be in the capital budget, where we will need to insist on investments that are, uh, that are efficient and that uh, serve to meet the goals that we've set out for ourselves. Uh, that being said, I also believe that we should try and take a look at the operating budget. I think that it would not hurt for the city of La Crosse to create a, a sustainable a sustainability uh, coordinator's position so that they can kind of manage this effort going forward and make sure that we are staying on task to meet this goal. And I think that if we do this incrementally and keep it in mind every time we put a budget together, we will meet the goal that we've set for ourselves. Thank you, Martin Gall. Vicki Markison. Yes, and the environment is something I'm hearing from a lot of people, that it is critical. It's great to have a goal. It's a, it is a start. We need a plan to go behind that. And we cannot ignore the fact that we have a hospital that is a leader in terms of going off of the grid. We have to use them. I think there's some great partnerships we could do with them. And as Marty said, as we take a look at our capital improvement budget, we can be saying, how do we use each of those projects to advance our goal? And again, using those experts that we have in town, we have Daryl and Power, we have XL Energy. They certainly are experts in energy and can be giving us recommendations as well. Thank you, Vicki. Samuel Schneider, your reaction to what you've heard from Martin and Vicki? Yeah, I think that all the different things that we're doing right now are good ideas. And uh, we have already set in mind the long-term goals for uh, dealing with the climate and the environment in La Crosse. I think that there's also some other concerns that are a little bit more urgent that we need to be looking at right now. Obviously, uh, lead poisoning in the marsh is a big concern, and uh, we are working together with the DNR currently, and I would continue to do that. Also, we have the poisoned wells in French Island, which are a huge concern. There are families who don't have drinking water and they have to have that provided to them. So I think that these are concerns that we need to deal with right now. We also have the bluffs, want to make sure that the wildlife and the beauty of the bluffs is maintained while having the trails available to the public. I think that these are all things that we can also do in the meantime as we go strive forward to these other goals. Thank you, Samuel Schneider. Joe Conrad, over to you. I think it's great that we have a long-term plan. We didn't get into this problem overnight. We're not going to get out of the problem overnight either. It's something we all need to be sensitive to. I think it's obvious that global warming is an issue. I will say for the next couple of years, the number one thing we're going to have to work on is recovering from COVID-19. So I'd like us to do things that get us in the right direction, but our focus had to be, has to be helping our community work out of this crisis the aid from the federal government is only going to run for so long. At some point, we have to be working on this for ourselves. Gunderson keeps being thrown out as an example. They've done a fabulous job, but they've tapped into community resources for fuel to help operate their facility that now are consumed by their operation. The idea that all of us are going to convert over to a renewable energy in a short period of time is not realistic either. Let's have a long-term goal. Let's work towards it. One way to improve our environment is to be more efficient with the fossil fuels we do use. And by being more efficient, uh, we'll spend less money and be more uh, successful as a city. Thank you, Joe Conrad. Zebulon Kemp. I think everybody has a valid point there. Um, there is a lot going on here in the community, um, trying to recover from COVID. Uh, just moving on toward our long-term goals. And I think those long-term goals can be met. And uh, the rest of them have said, it. you know, it's not going to happen overnight, but baby steps, you know, uh, this year we can do, you know, use this money or work toward this direction to get toward that goal that we have for 2050, you know, um, 
little by little, we can get there. Lacrosse certainly has the potential to do so, but it's got to be one day at a time, one week at a time, so on and so forth, until we meet that long-term goal that we set up for ourselves. Thank you. Thank you, Zebulon Kemp. Martin Gall and Vicki Markinson, I'm going to come back to you. Martin Gall, does recovery from COVID get in the way of these efforts towards sustainability and reduce carbon emissions? <laughs> recovery from COVID gets in the way of everything, let's face it. But the bottom line here is we have to be able to multitask. The business of the city goes on. We still have to make capital investments, and we need to keep our sustainability goals in mind when we make those investments. That's really the key. Another thing that we need to remember is that when we normally, if we make investments in the, through the capital program that reduces operating costs, whether that's in bus fleets or police fleets or wherever that happens to be, business or uh, our building efficiencies, that translates directly into the bottom line because that's an operating cost as opposed to a capital cost. So we need to keep that in mind and continue to make those investments because ultimately uh, those types of programs, programs like our LED streetlights, all the little things add up and have a positive impact on our levy. And uh, they are something that we can look forward to for savings in our operating budget. Thank you, Martin Gall. Vicki Markison, the last word goes to you. Sure. I think it was telling in the budget when we have our public works dedicating money to educating about recycling and trying to work with area municipalities to try to reduce the amount of waste going into our landfill. And when we set a goal that 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 is so fundamental, it speaks to me that every one of us has an impact on sustainability to help our community. And so if we're having to start with education on recycling, we really need to start developing a plan in terms of the impact that each of us has on that longer term goal and adding that into the plan as well. Thank you, Vicki Markison. Our next question, we'll start with Samuel Schneider and Joe Conrad. This question comes from Brad Williams. The La Crosse Fire Department has some sweeping plans for improving fire protection in the city. They plan to renovate some old stations, build new ones. As mayor, would you be in favor of more of a regional approach working with on Alaska, Holman, also uh, some of the uh, towns such as Campbell and Shelby to establish a regional fire department? And how would you get that done? Samuel Schneider. You know, that's a good concern. I think that we always need to be interacting with the other neighboring communities and seeing how we can help them and how we can serve them. I think that uh, the big issue when it comes to neighboring communities and services like the fire department, like utilities, um, like police, anything like that, when we're coming to that, we really need to make sure that they feel like they're being represented in that action whether it be, you know, are they getting the right amount of service? Are they getting the cost at the right amount? They don't want to feel like they're the little brother to lacrosse. They want to feel like they're equal. They want to feel like they're represented. And I've spoken to a lot of different people from those communities who have voiced to me, you know, sometimes it feels like lacrosse doesn't care about us. And that is not what we want. We know that the city of lacrosse cares about those neighboring communities because they're commuters, they're tourists, they're friends, they visit the convention center, they use the airport. And those are all things we need to be concerned about. So I think that that is something we could definitely look at, but it's going to require a lot of conversation and collaboration and uh, making sure that they are feeling heard and that their concerns are being heard just as well as those of ours if we're going to do any sort of reason, regional approach. Thank you, Samuel Schneider. Joe Conrad. This might be an opportunity for us to start working together. The Cross Center, we told people they couldn't have a position on the board. We told them they'd have no voice if they gave money. That, that stuff doesn't work. The fire department might be a great place to start. We have issues right now where it's a checkerboard. What's city? What's town? What's village? What's on Alaska? What's lacrosse? Our fire department and our police department will respond where needed. But we're paying the taxes to fund that. We can have better coordination of services. We can have non-duplication of facilities if we work together as a group and cooperate. A basic service like fire is one where the ability to get to the the uh, fire as quickly as possible with the right personnel is what makes all the difference. What a great sensible way for us to start building bridges and working with other communities. We're talking about a huge investment, $36 million in lacrosse for a new police and fire center. Let's make sure before we spend that money again, that we're doing it the right way. Thank you, Joe Conrad. Zebulon Kemp, I can go to you next. Thank you. Uh, a regionalized approach should be in discussions. I do agree with that. Uh, but there's a lot of things to consider when going down that road. 
Um, you know, who's got jurisdiction where, who's in charge of this area or that area, who's going to be flipping the bill for, um, you know, these regionalized stations and such. So I think it is a good way to start building bridges with our neighboring communities, but there are a lot of questions and a lot of concerns that will need to be addressed. But I think that could be a step in the right direction as well, as far as uh, bringing everybody else, our neighboring cities and communities together. Thank you, Sebulon. Martin Gall. Thanks. Um, I think regionalization in the future is going to be the way for us to go, but we've got to take the lead on that, working through the county to, uh, to uh, develop the trust between local elected officials to allow this to happen. We've had issues in this city, and anybody who's been here for a while is well aware of the issues we've had with surrounding communities. Uh, there's a wall that's been built, and it's going to take a long time to get it torn back down. But I do know that if I'm elected mayor, that is going to be one of my top priorities. And I want to say I suspect it's going to be anybody's top priority who's in that chair, because that's a piece that's missing that we need to fill in. The bottom line, though, is that we have got fire stations that need to be replaced. Uh, fire stations two and three in particular are uh, what I would consider to be should be next in line for is going up this year. And uh, one is the one is the uh, possible safety building project that we've got online, but I suspect that's going to be last in line because we've got other work that needs to be accomplished first. Uh, the fire stations are long overdue for replacement and we can't forget that, but we need to coordinate it with any effort going forward in working with our regional partners to see if those partnerships can be fully developed. Thank you, Martin Gall. Vicki Markison. Yes, the wonderful thing is that UWL's John Kavari, he did a report on this exact study. So he has paved the path and a route for how we can collaborate on fire. I think it's important to note that if you're talking about regionalism and collaboration, that was my job at Seven Rivers Alliance. I got 37 area higher eds and municipalities to, to sign a compact, say we're going to work for the greater good. I bring those relationships, I bring that trust into the mayor's position, and I look forward to being able to utilize that. Thank you, Vicki. Samuel Schneider, can you go back to you, your reaction to what you've heard from the other candidates? Yeah, I think everyone is making some really good points. We're all saying, hey, look, regionalization and, and interacting well with our neighbors is going to be key. And who doesn't want to have friendly neighbors who are looking forward to working with us? That is what we want. We want that sort of a relationship because as lacrosse continues to grow, as the neighboring communities continue to grow, we're going to be bigger and bigger. And the interaction with our neighboring communities is going to be key going forward in the future. We need a mayor who's going to be able to lead in that area and who's also going to be able to represent not just the needs of the citizens, but also the needs of the surrounding communities so that they feel like he's reflecting their concerns. And that's something I bring. I, I've spoken to a lot of people from the neighboring communities, my, my business services, a lot of those neighboring communities as well. And I hear about their complaints all the time. And I think that's something we need to be taking into, into account that, yes, we are elected first and foremost for the people of La Crosse. But if we want the entire Cooley region to succeed, we need to keep in mind those surrounding communities as well. Thank you, Samuel Schneider. Joe Conrad, you get the last word. And we have a great opportunity. We have a new mayor. We're going to have six, maybe more members of the council that are new. We have new people coming in. The people out of Lacrosse should be downright angry about why we're still paying for the airport. We're now on the hook for water quality. We're on the hook for $42 million for a Lacrosse Center. That money will not be paid back. The Lacrosse Center hopes to make enough operating money to cover their operating budget. The taxpayers are on the hook for paying the bonds. The center has never been planned to pay that. It's about time to get leaders in this community that are willing to work with others. Tell them that they have to pay for something and not have a voice. Why should they do that? We need a whole new approach. We need new people running this city who want to work and want to make things better. That's the bottom line. Thank you, Joe Conrad. Our next question will start with Zebulon Kemp and Vicki Markison. That question comes from Rick Solom. All right. Uh, how can we make the lacrosse community more open and appealing to diverse populations and maintain growth in the number of city residents? Zebulon, the floor is yours. I think more community events. Uh, I haven't been back home for more than a year and a half, but I noticed that that is something that we don't really do a whole lot with, but I think it would be a good idea. Um, 
bringing everyone together, uh, knowing who your neighbors and stuff are, who you're going to be working with, uh, businesses and such. And so I just think the more often we can get people together, you know, uh, meet and greets, however you want to call them, um, and just, I don't know, move on from there, you know, I guess give everybody the chance, but you can't do that if you're not giving people the opportunity to go out and see, you know, what, uh, how diverse we actually are. And especially right now, it's tough with the pandemic because nobody really wants to go anywhere and things like that. So I think we, once we get through this pandemic cycle and stuff, we should entertain more ideas to community functions where it involves, uh, all diversities, whether it's, you know, let's do this type of celebration down here at Riverside Park this week. And we can do this one down here at this time and place. But I think we need to open up the floor a lot more to the citizens. Thank you, Zebulon. Vicki. Yes, this was one of the top issues when I was with the Chamber of Commerce and we hired what we called first friend. So we had an individual that as people were coming into the community, she would give them tours and she would introduce them to others with similar interests. And we certainly identified that we need um, even things as simple as diversity of products that make people feel comfortable. But we also have leaders. We have businesses that are attracting people of diverse backgrounds. The universities are a huge source of diversity, and they have staffing that can help guide our community. Certainly getting more people to participate in the Waking Up White initiative, where it's just awareness of what it is like to be white privileged. Those are all conversations that we need leaders in our community involved in. I think there's a great desire to be more open. We just need a clear path as to what that looks like and, and easy steps people can take. Thank you, Vicki. Over to you, Martin Gall. Thank you. Um, you know, I actually think that we've got an awful lot of good things going on in the community already that we can build on. And I think coming out of this pandemic is going to be a unique opportunity for us to do that. Uh, I think there's going to be there's a pent up desire for everybody to get out and mingle with everybody. And I think that it's important for the city to capitalize that on that, working with private groups and working with a lot of the clubs and community organizations that we have in place to see what's what role the city can play in enhancing those celebrations, enhancing those get togethers so people can experience these things together not just, you know, you have these situations where a group has a function for themselves and another group has a function for themselves. These things have to be, we have to assist them to mesh together so people can experience each other and each other's cultures and the things that they enjoy together because it'll make it easier for them to work together and they enjoy their time together too. Thanks. Thank you, Martin Gall. Samuel. Yeah, this is really great. You know, obviously, lacrosse has been growing in diversity for a while now. I mean, it's known very well for its Oktoberfest, which is one of the largest outside of Germany. But we also have to start by thinking about all the other uh, cultures and communities that are in here. You know, right around my neighborhood, there are a lot of Hmong families that live here, and we interact with them, and we go and talk with them and hang out with them. And it's really a good time, you know, obviously before COVID. But, you know, I'll, it's really a good time to get to know them and their culture. You know, for my cleaning business, I work with Indian people from India who have been moving in larger numbers. You have the African-American culture, which has a very rich history in cross. You have all these different cultures that are coming in and we have to keep track of, hey, this is the Indian culture that's bringing their, you know, their, their Hinduistic beliefs. And we want to look at that and, and, and say, wow, this is cool. What, what led you guys to do this and believe this? And, and just really bringing awareness to that sort of thing and interacting with all the different cultures as they come and making sure that they're being recognized and that uh, we're, we're doing that just as much as keeping our rich German and Norwegian history. Thank you, Samuel. Joe, you're next. I think <clears throat> that there is a, a lot of cultural diversity in the community, and I think that all of us need to figure out how to be more sensitive. I, I picked up a copy of The Waking Up White, and it is, it is eye-opening. Um, I think we need to figure out a way to have everybody feel included in lacrosse. I may be a little bit geeky being an old 35-year banker, but I found it interesting reading with the city budget. And one of the things the mayor bragged about in his report was that last year he had one meeting with people in the community to find out what they thought. One meeting in a whole year. I pledge again, if I'm elected mayor, I will meet every month with people in the community who want to be heard, who want to have change occur, who want to make something happen in lacrosse. 
the city council and the mayor need to be taking a leadership position and doing something about it. Our outgoing mayor said he thought the mayor's job is to protest. I think the mayor's job is to listen to peaceful protesters and do something about the problem and take action and make things better. Thank you. Thank you, Joe. Zebulon, I want to come back to you. Do you view the efforts to promote diversity in lacrosse as more characterized by the lack of efforts or inaction? What's your view on that, Zebulon? I think we could always be doing more, you know, uh, whether it's finding better avenues for uh, cultures and stuff to promote events and celebrations and such. Um, I think I just, there's always more that you can do. I believe that, that um, if we put a little more effort into that, showing more support for all our cultures and ethnicities and stuff like that, I think the feedback and the turnout would be a lot better. You were muted, Anthony. Oh, sorry. Uh, Vicki, last word to you. Uh, has the city been dropping the ball? I, I hate to say it's we've dropped the ball, but we haven't been very strategic. And, you know, even this conversation, all of us gravitate towards racial diversity. There are other forms of diversity that we need to be aware of and inclusive and it begins with diversity of thought. So every great leader says, I can't surround myself with people who look and think like I do. And we need to be in all, in all of our realms, we need to be much more open to including people who think different. And that is the true definition of diversity. It has to start there. And then there's tremendous opportunities once you have that understanding and that base. Thank you, Vicki Markison. Our next question will go first to Joe Conrad, then Martin Gall. That question comes from Brad Williams. Does lacrosse need to make any changes in what city boards or councils, whether elected or unelected, have control over decision-making power? Now, should every major decision go through the city council instead of, for example, the public works board having the final say in something or the park department a final say in a decision? Joe, over to you. That's a tough issue because we have people who are going to contribute their time and have expertise in an area, but the council and the mayor are elected by the people. You're elected to be a good shepherd of the money that people trust us with. You're elected to be a good shepherd of, of policies and laws and processes that benefit people. And people ought to be able to say whether you're doing a good job or you're not doing a good job by voting in or voting out. The boards can be a great resource of people who have expertise in an area, and we should listen to their recommendations. But the people who are elected to office ought to take responsibility for taking the actions and spending the public's money. That's what we're hired to do when they vote for us. Thank you. Thank you, Joe. Martin Gall. Thanks. Yeah, I would agree with Joe. You know, the thing of it is, most things of consequence that happen in the city flow through the council after they're through the committees that they that handle them in the first place. Um, that's just that's the way most of this goes. Now, the two examples that you had listed there, the public or the uh, board of public works is specifically assigned to do the work that they do is basically done week to week to week. And that is a uh, that's a necessity to have business be done in the city. They do not go outside of a purview that's been identified for them. And frankly, I don't think that there's any other way we could legitimately do that and respond to people as quickly as they need us to respond to you. Anybody who's pushed anything through a council cycle here knows it's not something that happens just like that. It's something that takes time and the Board of Public Works helps with that. The Parks Department, the Parks Department is a, is a separate board from the city. Uh, it's, it operates under its own authority, for lack of a better way to put that. And when they make a decision, it's basically a decision that is, in, uh, that is incumbent on them to make. Uh, every once in a while, something will get deferred to the city council, but it's not a regular course of business because the city, the uh, park commissioner system is set up specifically to take care of the issues they deal with. By and large, I don't disagree with Joe. It's nice that when these things do flow through the city council or through an elected body, people can change your minds about who their elected officials are and make those decisions at election time. That is a nice thing to have, but the value that citizens 
offer to the city for the boards that they voluntarily uh, sit on and serve the city's interests, I don't think we can discount that and take that away from them in any way, shape, or form. It's important for our city to utilize those folks who want to step up and offer their services to us. Thanks. Thank you, Martin. Samuel, your views on what you've heard from Martin and Joe. Yeah, I think that really what we're trying to communicate here is that there has to be a balance, right? We have to make sure that if we're having issues that are a big concern that are, are going to affect all the city, that we're getting the citizens' input via the council and even sometimes through the citizens themselves. So I think we need to make sure that we're, we're keeping an eye out for that and that if there's smaller issues, you know, obviously, as Martin Gall said, we have a purview. We have a, a rule system set in line so that they're not going to be making decisions that are beyond what they've already been, you know, set out to deal with and establish. And I think that as long as we're making sure that there's a good balance there, that the bigger issues are being brought to the council so that the council can be held accountable for the actions I think as long as we're making sure that there's a good balance there, that we can continue to do that. And we always need to be reviewing it and making sure that we're being accountable to the people because that's what we're here for. Thank you, Samuel. Zebulon, over to you. I think uh, accountability is key. Um, I feel like city officials and leaders should be accountable. Um, But I also feel like there should be a way that the residents and citizens of La Crosse maybe get more of a say so you know a lot of people that i've talked to about certain issues throughout the city well i had no idea they were doing this well i had no idea they were doing that not everybody reads the newspaper not everybody has the internet and stuff like that so i think maybe not advertise it more but try to get it out there a little bit better so that people in the city actually know what's going on you know where the money is being spent how it's being spent and stuff like that but they should have more of a say so on what's happening in the city Thank you, Zebulon. Vicki, over to you. Yeah, welcome to Nonprofit Management 101. So I've been running nonprofits for 20 years, and you have a board structure, and the board sets policy. And then on the committees, you have eager volunteers wanting to make a difference and bring in a body of knowledge. And you have to be respectful of that. You're bringing them in for a reason. They Again, they have an expertise that the full board doesn't necessarily have. And if you squash that, that is one of the critical pieces of why people don't get engaged in government. And I do think that our city hall has to find a different way of seeking input from the public. We have to reach for a deeper engagement out of people. And that begins with with people understanding what's happening in city hall so that as those committees are meeting, they have an opportunity for greater input. And we have to start going outside of our traditional communication channels. We have to meet people where they're at because asking them to follow agendas and to understand process and when they can speak is not very friendly to encouraging the best course of action that bubbles up to the city council. Thank you, Vicki. Joe Conrad, I'd like your reaction to what Vicki said. I have two concerns. One is uh, lacrosse is closer to a business than it is to a charity. We have revenue that we generate and we spend the money and we're supposed to come out even or it'd be nice if we once in a while had a little extra left over. And there's things we do that we sell our services and people choose whether or not to buy them. So I think running a business and having experience in large organizations is critical. Going back to the comments about the boards, the mayor job in La Crosse is the administrative head of the city. There's not a county executive. There's not a city executive. You're responsible for what happens. The mayor appoints these members of these boards the buck stops there. The mayor appoints one person, if they choose, every year to the Fire and Police Commission. If you're not happy with what our police department is doing, when I'm mayor, give me a call, because that's my responsibility. You vote me in, you vote me out. There are people who are accountable, and they need to be good leaders, and not say, my job is to protest, my job is to solve problems and make the city better. Thank you, Joe. Martin Gull, final word. Thanks. Well, it's, you know, there's a lot of interesting comments that have been made here. And I have to say, you hear very often when you're working on the city council or even in the mayor's office about a lack of communication from the city to the folks we represent. You know, and I understand we can always be better, but I think that if people really understood the depth of the uh, reach that we try and put out to folks so that they can participate in the meetings and participate in the committees participate in the open meeting sessions. Uh, It um, would never ceases to amaze me how many people don't show up 
until there's something going on that they say they never heard of that we've been working on for months. So the bottom line is, is we can always do it better. We can always seek new avenues to communicate better to the people. But if people actually took an interest and took more of an active role in seeking out and following what's going on through the news, uh, through whatever sources they need to, whatever we can do better, we will do better. But citizen involvement is, has to be somewhat incumbent on the citizen to want to do. And uh, I think that's an important thing for anybody to remember who's looking to run for this job or any other city job that is an elected position. Uh, it's always an issue. We can always do it better, but they don't take advantage totally of what we already offer. And that's unfortunate. Thank you, Martin Gall. And this next question will be our final question of this debate. We'll start with Samuel Schneider, then go to Zebulon Kemp with this question from Rick Solom. All right. With uh, the pandemic, there's going to be likely budget shortfalls, right? Uh, which areas would you focus on to for cost savings, essentially? Samuel. Yeah, this is a good question. I think that the first thing we have to realize is before we make any big expenditures that we're getting the input of the people. And actually tonight I will be announcing that I'm releasing a press release, um, and this will be public tomorrow, on how I will be encouraging referendums if elected mayor. That's going to be added on to one of my six issues. I think that really what we're concerned about right now is getting the input of the people. As the last question talked about, we need to be getting the input of the people. So when we have budget shortfalls, we can deal with that by taking a more direct approach at the situation, but we also have to make sure that before we spend X million amount of dollars that's going to be possibly going back into our property taxes or on our debt load, that we're getting the input of the people so that it's on the ballot, they know what's going on, it's present, we can get the information out, it's actually not too bad. The county did that a couple years ago and they did a, a, a small amount of money and they did an education program and the people made a very educated vote on that issue. And I think that we need to have more binding referendums. I think that the citizens need to be more directly involved in their politics. And that is one way to make it a concrete solution. It's an answer that will help bring it directly into the hands of the people and it's democracy at its best. So as mayor, that's one of the things I'm gonna be doing in relation to the budget and other issues. Thank you, Samuel Schneider. Zebulon, you're next. I think more citizen involvement is always a good thing. Um, but I also feel like we, when it comes to the budget and decreasing revenues and stuff, what are lacrosse's needs versus what are lacrosse's wants? You know, you got to look at those and do we really need to be spending the, I don't, I don't have the exact number for a roundabout. What I read seemed a little high, could be accurate, could be not, but do we really need a roundabout on Avon street right down there um, right after Island? You know, that's, that's something that four stop signs could do two stop signs, yield signs, however you want to do it. But you could save a lot of money that way. So I just think um, revenue not coming in like it normally does. We just we have to sit there, reevaluate and uh, see what we can do better. Talk to the people. Do we do you guys feel that it's a necessity to have these lights every so often there on George Street? Or could we use that for better facilities at the park or uh, just holding on to it for a rainy day fund just in case of any sort of emergency? I uh, did that for eight years in the Navy and. There's always a way to get it done. You know, 123 sailors in my division, we managed to keep everybody's flight deck uniforms, uh, boots, pants, cranials, whatever. And so the division as a whole had everything that they needed. Um, I just think that that should be uh, addressed when we're looking at money that we're spending. Thank you, Zebulon. Vicki Markison, over to you. Yes, I think we need to focus on what are the essential services. So when we have a shortfall, we have to look at what are the essential services the city needs to provide. Obviously, those are safety, those are roads, and then where we would start to cut if we are running into shortfalls is in those quality of life pieces that can wait. And we already had a significant cut. That's how we balanced the budget was by not filling positions in our library. And then there's discussions of as we emerge, do we build those back in? But we have to focus on those essential services first. The people rely on us for those. It's the only place that they can get them from. And that is what we have to prioritize. Thank you, Vicki. Joe, over to you. The budget is 134 pages long for City of La Crosse. And there's three things in there that scare me. Number one is room taxes are not going to be there. Number two is the La Crosse Center was supposed to bring in 2.5 million last year. They didn't. We don't know what it is yet. It's not been disclosed publicly how much they actually brought in. 
You're supposed to bring in a million eight this year. Ain't going to happen. Yeah, we budgeted or break even. 1.8 million in cost, 1.8 million in net revenues. Nice and neat. The airport lost $700,000 in 19, 2019. They were budgeted to. They were supposed to recover to break even last year. Didn't happen. This year, they're supposed to lose 500000 I hope it's that good. We got real problems in the city. I'd like the council members to tell me why there's a 31% raise in their income in our budget this year over last year. We don't have enough money to operate the city. We don't have money for COVID relief, supplies we need, but we got money to give the council members 31% more in pay this year. One thing I said I would do as mayor, as soon as I get in office, I'll meet with every department head in the city. I'll meet with any community leader that's willing to meet. And we'll talk about what they can do, what action they can take now to help our city. We got a lot of smart people who work for the city who have dedicated their careers. We have leaders in this community who have dedicated themselves to helping make them across better. Let's listen to them. Let's get their ideas to work. That's the only way we're gonna solve this, is we're gonna have to get people to come up with new ideas and to take action, get something done. Thank you. Thank you, Joe. Martin. Thanks. Well, I have to say that first off, the insofar as Joe's point, council salaries and the mayor's salary, in fact, were raised a few years ago. And uh, the, the bottom line there is they cannot be changed in an election cycle. So they couldn't be changed today if we wanted to because it's against the law. That said, the reason that the council salaries were raised was that it was sponsored by council members who were having a hard time making ends meet given the meeting schedules that they had with babysitters and everything else. So the point behind that was to try and put a council expense and salary level that enabled anyone to run for the council, not just a, uh, you know, not just retired people, not just business people, regular folks who could not afford to invest the time unless they were getting the salary. That was what was behind that. As far as the other question was concerned, and, and the, I believe it was about COVID, the fact is, is that if I was elected mayor and we started having shortfalls, I would use the same model that we already used successfully in this past year. The executive, we had put together an executive budget committee looked at the entire operating budget to identify where shortfalls could be absorbed. And we did that uh, well over $4 million worth. The bottom line this year is the, the operating budget has been adjusted to account for COVID. Uh, whether or not it remains to uh, be, be a, uh, a solid budget uh, is going to depend on how long this, the uh, COVID virus continues to impact us. But if need be, we will make adjustments just as we did last year. It is in the operating budget side, and it's important to remember the operating budget is made up 75% of personnel expenses. Doesn't do any good to count out roundabouts or put in stop signs. None of that has an immediate impact on the budget, and I think we need to keep that in mind going forward. But I would use the executive budget committee model that we used successfully this past year. Samuel Schneider, your reaction to what we just heard from Martin Gall? Yeah, I think absolutely. We need to be making sure that we're keeping in mind the fact that the city has done a very good job thus far in dealing with the pandemic, but we can do more and we must do more. And it is the duty of the mayor to talk to people and to look deeper into the budget and make sure that we're finding every place we can continuing as COVID, as long as COVID lasts to find ways we can stay ahead of the curve on this one. And right now we're really looking at a tough situation for the budget going into the future. There are businesses that are closing and tax revenue is not going to be here going into the next year. And I know that we've taken a lot of that into account, but I think that there, uh, you know, that there's going to be a lot more there to deal with than we think about. And so we need to make sure that we're preparing for the worst and hoping for the best in every scenario and uh, working to get the best scenario outcome, but also keep in mind the fact that we may not have that and we have to be prepared if we don't. Thank you, Samuel. Zebulon, last word. I understand where uh, Mr. Gall is coming from. Um, I just, like I said, though, I feel like it, we need to dig a little bit deeper. Needs versus wants are those things that we're budgeting for. Are they necessary? You know, do we have to spend set amount of dollars on that, or is there a cheaper, more efficient way to do it? That's why I believe we do need more community and resident involvement in this because they are taxpayers in the city. So I believe that the mayor 
uh, council members and all the citizens should be able to figure out a way together, whether it's through the, just the leaders, talking to those members of the community, um, but there's, there's a better way to do it. There just, there really is. We can save money on unnecessary spending, but there's gotta be somebody in there not to put, I'm not going to say put a foot down, but kind of, Hey, no, wait, let's just think about this type person. And that's the kind of person that I want to be for the city. Thank you so much, Zebulon Kemp. That is our time for this debate. Thank you so much to the candidates for participating. And thank you to Brad Williams and Rick Solom from WIZM for being part of this debate. Most of all, thank you to our listeners and viewers for joining us. This is an important election and lacrosse will be better off if voter turnout is high. So on that note, remember that the lacrosse mayoral race will be narrowed down to two candidates in a primary election on February 16th. For more information on the candidates for mayor of La Crosse, I encourage you to visit wizmnews.com slash mayor. Once again, that is wizmnews.com slash mayor. For now, I'm Anthony Tregoski from the University of Wisconsin-La Crosse. Thank you so much for joining us and good night.